Welcome to Diving Board, a show about artists, the art they create, and the wide range of social and cultural ideas they explore. I'm Bill Valerio, and I run the Woodmere Art Museum, where we tell the stories of Philadelphia's art and artists. Our latest exhibition is Don't Feed the Art. It's a menagerie of art about animals. Whether you're an animal lover or just tired out from the pandemic, we hope this exhibition will bring a smile to your face and at the same time, a deep appreciation of the works of art in the museum's own collection. And for all you families out there listening, we invite you and your children to come spend time with us in our galleries. If you enjoy going to the zoo, you will enjoy coming to the show. On that note, I want you to take a guess here. In our exhibition, what animal do you think shows up in the art the most? For some clues, let's turn to my colleague, Rick Ortwine. He's the one who installs all the art in our exhibitions. That means he's the person responsible for getting the art up onto the walls of our galleries. There's a lot of cats and a lot of dogs and birds and fish, but there's a couple of whales. There's some areas that are fantastic. So imagined animals, animals that have some human characteristics. I think there's a cat wearing a necktie. So again, which animal do you think you'll see the most in our exhibition? We'll have the answer for you at the very end of the podcast. In the meantime, we're going to give you a behind-the-scenes view of how we actually put an exhibition together at Woodmere. We're going to hear from four different staff members, and they're going to tell you about what their jobs involve. As you'll hear, there's a lot of creativity, research, tinkering, and flexibility that goes into presenting an exhibition at Woodmere. And for some of you kids and teenagers out there who might be questioning whether you'll ever use math in the real world, well, creating an art exhibition does require a lot of math, as you'll find out later. My name's Rick Ortwine. I'm the Deputy Director of Exhibitions at Woodmere. My job entails handling the artwork, installing all the exhibitions, laying them out, trying to figure out the sequence that things are seen in. One of the things you have to do with it is you have to put hardware on the back. You have to put some little piece of hardware so that you can put it on the wall or anchor it to the floor if it's a sculpture, let's say. And then you have to light it. So you have to change all the light bulbs. You have to make sure that everything is illuminated and not in shadow. So uh, it's a lot of moving around of lights as much as artwork in this place. My name is Laura Hemer. I am the registrar here at Woodmere. And my main duties, I work very closely with Rick, managing the collection. Anytime artwork needs to move around, get to an exhibition or a gallery or go to another museum, I am working on getting it there. If work needs to go to the conservator for cleaning or repair, like taking the artwork to the doctor, I am the person that will work with the conservator and make sure it gets to the right place. So very detail-oriented, planning, lots of planning. 
We have a storage vault that's a locked, alarmed area, and there are only a few people here that have access to it so that we can protect the art. You know, as a museum, we hold the artwork for the public, and it's our job to keep it safe and protect it. And of course, if it's not on the walls, the best place to keep it is in a, a vault. I get the key. There are, I think, what, three, four of us that have a key and a code to the vault. Because like I said, we have to make sure it's safe and the people that work directly with the art are really the only ones that need access to it when it's in storage. So yes, I get to hold the key. <laughs> Should I start off by saying I don't have a key to the vault? <laughs> I'm not special. <laughs> My name is Hildy Tao. I am the Curator of Education at Woodmere Art Museum. And my job is to create experiences for children and adults to engage with the artwork in a way that makes us imagine other worlds through the imagination of others, that being artists. It helps us try on different viewpoints and engage with others in conversation that may mean that we disagree, and sometimes we agree, but we have respect for how other people think. My name is Rachel Hruskevich, and I'm the associate curator here at Woodmere. So I write all the stories, and those tell people about the artist usually, and something about the actual art object. My job changes a lot. If we're working on a show of just one artist and that artist is alive, then I'm the person, you know, most closely working with him or her. So maybe going to visit them at their house or their studio, seeing what kind of new art that they made. A show like this animal show, where it's mostly from the collection, I don't have to go visit anyone. All the artists here at the museum. So this is a little bit different. This requires me to look on the computer at our digital collection and our databases that organize all of our work. I build the checklist, which is the list of artworks that is in every single show. It's my job to make that list. And that's always a balance between big works and small works and things that fit in certain spaces. So it's considering the space, the curatorial focus, like what are we trying to explain about the art of Philadelphia? And once that checklist is done, then it's a matter of refining the checklist. Like, do we have too much? Do we need more? And then always trying to strike a balance. We'd like everyone to be equally represented as well as different ages, contemporary art, historic art, a variety of styles, and usually media as well. The way we usually come up with exhibition ideas is we all sit around the room or on a Zoom board and exchange ideas. We've always wanted to do an exhibition about animals and thought the topic might be just right for a family-focused exhibition now. Rick came up with our exhibition title, Don't Feed the Art, and it plays off being at the zoo where you're not supposed to feed the animals. And Hildy helped us make the connection between engaging with 
art, and animals in a way that can speak to children. Children have a natural attraction to animals and curiosity about animals. That's why animals are used in storybooks and fables and folktales. And what's interesting about animals in terms of artwork and in real life is that when we go to the zoo or we look at our pets or other people's pets, you know, we recognize something familiar. We're looking into somebody else's eyes, but we're looking at each other without language. So I think having an exhibition, you know, that's focusing on animal art will not just attract young visitors, but will also provide a way for children to learn about art by looking at animals. Because they're looking at art works about animals through the imagination of others. So they're going to look at it through an artist's perspective. They're going to look at it from an animal's perspective because a lot of these animals are looking right back at us. When children come to visit the art museum, we often say, what is the job of an art museum? To hang pictures so that we can see pretty things are often the responses. But I will often say a museum is like a big treasure box. It has a collection. So think about the zoo. What does the zoo collect? The zoo collects animals, right? And what's the job of the zoo? They take care of the animals. They feed the animals. They make sure that they're living in a safe environment, you know, that they have toys to play with or other animals around to interact with. So... A museum collects art, so what's the job of a museum? And so then they get it to take care of a museum. And that leads us into, of course, the rules of being in a museum, which means you're not allowed to touch the art. We should talk about the title because Rick came up with it, but it also goes with don't feed the art. So why can't we touch the art? You know, we want to very much. We, there are textures and colors that are really vibrant and, you know, we're pulled into it. We want to touch things, but we can't because we can leave fingerprints and, you know, the oils from our fingers. And I often say to children, you may come back here with your own children sometime, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, and we want the red to be just as vibrant as it is when you're seeing it right now. When we started to build the idea for this show and dove into the collection, we were astonished by the number of animal-themed works we found. We have around 90 pieces in the show. That's a lot of art in one exhibition. But at a museum, we love every work of art that's in our collection, like it's one of our children. So it's wonderful (laughs) to see it all together. It's like taking out all our toys. (laughs) And as curator, it's Rachel's job to figure out the similarities and differences and the relationships within the various themes of this unique combination of art. I was surprised by the quantity, of course. We're not a museum of animal art, but it almost seems as if we are. (laughs) I was really surprised how many we have. And by people that also, like, they're not animal painters. They just happen to paint animals at some point. I am surprised also by the many ways that artists are inspired by the natural world. Shows like this allow us to see the commonalities as well. So who knew that we would easily find, you know, 15 depictions of cats in the collection and done in a very different way. Some of them are very compassionate portraits. Others are just silly and almost fantastical. So 
It's also interesting to see how different artists approaching the same subject, like a cat, can make something that's just totally different. And I think, I think visitors will respond to that as well. In this show, it's unique because we also included facts about animals, which we normally wouldn't do. So I know that cheetahs are the only group of cats that howl together, that make sound as a group together. So yeah, <laughs> I know lots of random facts. A cow can drink an entire bathtub full of water in a single day. And there's endangered species in our exhibition, species whose natural habitat is being destroyed or changed, and species who are being impacted by other animals being removed from the food chain, things like that. Of course, with any show about the natural world, the effects of climate change and habitat loss are important. While Rachel prepares interpretive materials like wall labels and plans for gallery tours, she is also thinking about the overarching message of the show and the way this particular exhibition draws attention to diversity in the conversations between artists in Philadelphia. Historically, Woodmere and just about every other museum that I know did not collect works by Black, Asian, and Latinx artists because of the prejudices of the times and the inequities in our history. We have sought to correct that, and for the 12 years that I've been the director here, Woodmere has prioritized diversity in our acquisitions of art. From this diversity of artists' racial backgrounds comes an experience in the galleries with a range and interaction between creative voices that can be characterized as inclusive. Works of art being shown for the first time are by Ed Bing Lee, Henry Bermudez, and Marta Sanchez. Marta calls her painting of a great big robin a retablo, a Spanish term for paintings with sacred meanings. This is an artist who draws on her cultural background and her work encourages us to ponder how other artists may see the natural world or interpret the lives of animals as sacred or spiritual. This is all about artists expressing their life experiences. To give another example, one of my favorite works in the show is by Ellen Powell Tiberino, and it's a pastel of a beautiful white rooster who is crowing at the rising sun. In the symbolism of this artist's work, the rooster is a reference to her husband, Joseph Tiberino, who was white, like the rooster. The artist was black, and we can interpret the art as a statement about her life, her relationship, her family, and the context of Philadelphia in her times. Or another work of art that's new to Woodmere is by Stuart Netsky, and it confronts the viewer with a rainbow of real but fake-looking dyed sheep's fur. 
As I see it, this grows from the artist's strongly queer sensibility, and he makes his points through irony and clashing ideas, and that too is about life experience. What's so great about walking through this show is that it's like meeting 90 different people, and they're all interesting. You won't be bored. The team at Woodmere also spends time thinking and tinkering with logistics to make everything flow. Here's our registrar, Laura. When we get a layout, that's really just checking to make sure everything will fit. And then it's like a puzzle almost up on the wallet and moving things around. And once you see it, you know, the peacock next to the gorilla, oh, that makes sense. Or no, let's see, maybe these sea creatures would look better over here. So it's a lot of trial and error and, and moving things around and seeing what fits and what doesn't. So this process requires us to stay open-minded and flexible, to discover new relationships and possible connections between one work of art and another. All to say, there's a constant back and forth within our team as we shape an exhibition as an experience for others, as we'll hear from Hildy in just a bit. But first, here's Rick. It comes down to, will it all fit? Can we put all these things in the room and how do we organize it? And the answer is always, it's not all gonna fit. Sometimes you can't even get things through the door. So those are considerations. So we've been spending the last few months trying to further organize and arrange the checklist, what we call the, the group of objects that will be in the exhibition. And that is continuing. So it'll probably go until about a week before the show opens, if not the night before. That's part of the rediscovery of your collection, is that you think of things in isolation. So you see the painting of a gorilla's face and you think, you know, how incredible that is and how much fun it is to look at. And then when you put it in the room, you kind of have to figure out what's gonna go next to it. And do they match or are they opposed to each other? So for instance, right here at the beginning, we have a big cat reclining and he's turning his head back to the left. We also have a dog that's reclining and looking out at the viewer. And they're about the same size and they're about the same shape of a rectangle, longer than tall. So they kind of naturally fit as greeters to the exhibition. So they're the first thing that you encounter when you come down the steps into the gallery. And then between them will be a small sculpture by Ed Bing Lee. It's called Four and Twenty, and it's based on the rhyme of four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. So, you know, there's a natural little antagonism between the cat and the birds. And so the cat's looking over his shoulder, you know, as if he's maybe hearing the birds, even though nothing's alive here now in that sense. I just like to add that those curatorial decisions that Rick is making in designing the exhibition and installing the artwork informs on how we talk to our public. And, you know, children will, I mean, we're often saying, what do you, when they look at, for example, a landscape, what do you imagine hearing? We always try to broaden, you know, it's not just visual, but that this is a world that you can imagine. And so between the cat and the dog and the birds in between, you know, as Rick said, 
cat may be listening to the birds or the birds might be chirping. That is something that in terms of having children come through this exhibition, we will incorporate into our conversation with children and just to inspire the imagination that way. And surprises, which we often get. I mean, I think it happens when we're installing the show. It happens when we're selecting the artwork, you know, at various stages. But let me just say that when children come into the galleries, we learn a lot from them and what they see. That informs on us enormously. As you can hear, we spend a lot of time experimenting and being creative. We might start out with one idea, but end up in a totally different place than where we started. And what really helps us get a clear picture of whether what we have in mind will work out logistically is the math that Rick ends up using in his head. There's a lot more math than I thought I would ever use because I also have to frame a lot of the work. To protect work like a drawing or a print that's on paper, you have to find a frame that will fit it. And if you don't have one, you make one. And then you have to secure it in that frame in a way that's not going to ruin it. Like you can't just use any glue and you certainly can't use any tape to hold it in place. You have to use very specific materials and glues that you cook, for instance. And then you secure those things in the frame and it's a lot of measuring to get it to look good, for instance. So there's math certainly involved in that. And then a lot of the times we do scale models of the gallery. So they could be like, one foot in real life means one inch in my model. And so all the artwork gets scaled to that proportion as well as the room. And then that way you can move all the artwork around safely on your computer. Or sometimes there's even three dimensional models that's like a dollhouse and those are kind of fun. And then you can move all the pictures around and the little sculptures around to determine where things are going to go. Math is very much a part of our museum experience. I would add, we have to know how much an exhibition will cost. On our staff are accountants and bookkeepers who figure out the cost of the framing, the carpentry, and everything else. Other people, like me, have the job to raise the money that's needed or to make sure that we earn enough with the ticket sales at our front door to cover our expenses. My job is to keep everything in balance, like a perfect square, even and balanced in all ways. When it comes to pulling together exhibitions, Laura, as registrar, is the one who keeps track of the location of all the art. She keeps records, like the registrar at any school or university. Laura also coordinates the process for when an artwork needs to be cleaned before being shown, or she makes arrangements to borrow or acquire a new work of art for the museum. For this exhibition, we have some private loans from a few local artists, and we've actually purchased works from, I think, two artists for this exhibition as well. And they're all local to Philadelphia, of course, to support our mission of elevating Philadelphia artists and telling their stories. But for other 
exhibitions. Sometimes we borrow artwork from other museums and we kind of share our collections between each other. So we've loaned things to the Brandywine River Museum and we've borrowed things from the Philadelphia Museum of Art. But for this show, 99% is from our collection, which is really cool. As far as getting artwork ready for exhibition, if something is dirty or it is damaged in any way, it's really not fit to hang up on a wall. So we need to send it off to a professional who can clean it and repair it for us. So I think we have four works that have been cleaned specifically for this exhibition. So they'll come back nice and shiny and, and ready to go up on the wall. You know, artwork is like anything, you know, over time it gets damaged or it, it gets dirty. Just hanging on a wall, you know, grime and dirt and dust can stick to it. And we can't just come up to it with a, a washcloth and wipe it off. So we have to get somebody who's specifically trained to take care of it to do that. So most of the things in here have probably been cleaned at some point, but like I said, four specifically cleaned for this exhibition. We've got a conservator who thankfully lives just around the corner from us, so we can very easily drop things off at his studio. Everything needs to be photographed as well. So if it makes a checklist and we don't already have a picture of it, we call up our local photographer who specializes in taking pictures of fine artworks, and he comes by and, and helps us document our collection. And we do that for a couple of reasons. So we can put it in a catalog, but we also want to make our collection available online. And so we put up as much as we can on our website. So even if you can't come visit our zoo in person, you could probably visit our zoo online as well. For sure, there's something for everyone in Don't Feed the Art. And we asked Hildy Rick, Rachel, and Laura which artworks really speak to them. That's a hard question. There are a lot of pieces in this exhibition that can make you smile. I mean, Blue Boy, Tom Palmore's dog, Sarah McEnany's cat. It's endless. It's nice to look at art that makes you smile. I like the Edward Mybridge man riding a horse because you can see the whole sequence. It looks like you're looking at a film strip and you see each step and each movement of the horse and the man that's riding it. I like the little creature with the flower. It's just a little kind of dragon-like creature holding a flower. It was actually a thank you note. It's very cute. I'm actually loving the squid. It's just fun. That's what I love actually about this entire exhibition is it's just fun and it's a lot of levity. It's going to take place during the winter and that's when you need that joy. So the fact that I look at this squid and it makes me laugh just makes me so happy. Just like Laura said, fun, joy, levity. We could all use some right now. And on that note, it's time to reveal which animal you'll see the most in our exhibition. Here's Rachel with the answer. It's definitely birds. There are so many birds. Also because we've roped in like owls, geese, you know, flying birds. So yeah, there are so many depictions of birds. Peacocks. We have a little kingfisher bird sculpture that's going to be in the exhibition. So come see all the birds and so much more. Also for families with children, as part of your ticket admission, we're providing free activity workbooks as long as supplies last. Our director of education, Hildy, created the workbook, which also includes a checklist of all the art in the exhibition. 
that was composed with, I think there are seven objects that are in the exhibition with a variety of looking questions so that children can develop their own ideas about an artwork, facts about the artist, facts about the animal to inspire curiosity, and art making and writing exercises for children to do that are inspired by the art so that they have a format for their own creative expression. It's been a fun exhibition to work on because not just discovering artworks that we haven't seen for a while, not just seeing artworks that have been in storage for a while, but getting into the world of animals and the artists who are creating these images. I look forward to hearing what children have to say. My very special thanks to Hildy Tao, Rick Ortwine, Rachel Hrushevich, and Laura Hemer for spending time with us on Diving Board and telling us about the amazing work that they do. Working in a museum is a real privilege. Our main job is to share art with others, and we enjoy it every day, 24-7, 365 days a year, and even on Zoom through the pandemic. So please come out to Woodmere and see this great show. And for upcoming events around Don't Feed the Art, stay in touch with us on social media at Woodmere Art and online at woodmereartmuseum.org. Diving Board is produced by Stephanie Marutis of Cuvenda Media and mixed by Brad Linder. And I'm Bill Valerio. Thanks for joining us. 